Uh, yeah, hello there. It's been a while, hasn't it? Let's not dwell upon the negative facts here tonight. Let's accentuate the positive. You have two podcasts this week. This one and another one. This one is the first uh, recycled edict. It's kind of uh, an occasional least worst of compilation of bits from the past. Uh, which actually take a lot longer to compile than you might imagine. Uh, would you believe I first started recording this podcast nine years ago in 2010? So right now you're going to hear some clips from 2010, including a big chunk of the very first episode. So that's now. On Thursday night, the 7th of March, will be a regular-ish episode, a double-header again with my uh, former friend and housemate, Nicholas Fry, uh, uh, friend and former housemate, Nicholas Fryer. I think that's the current status. I haven't checked yet, but it doesn't really matter because he has agreed to do the podcast. That's Thursday. But we would like your input because there's management changes happening at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So if you were in charge, if you ran the ABC, TV, radio, orchestras, online, the whole enchilada, what would you do? Send us your thoughts. Audio files are ideal, uh, but you can just send words and we'll read them out. It's not as much fun, but we'll do it. Get that to us by Wednesday night, uh, the 6th of March at 8pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Now, before I, I start the episode, let's be clear this uh, whole thing is made possible by you, the listeners. You can now... Uh, resume supporting with regular contributions, take out a paid subscription at stillgerian.com.au. No, skank.com.au slash subscribe. One-off contributions at stillgerian.com slash tip. If you missed that, they're on the website. You should know this by now. On with the show. The following episode of the 9pm Edict contains recycled material, strong language, and adult themes. It's hard to believe that the first episode of this podcast was recorded in 2010. Here's how it started. Monday the 22nd of February 2010, Peter Garrett resists calls for his resignation. No clean feed monomaniacs get up my nose. And a fucked up premier of a fucked up state adds yet another fucked up transport promise to the big fucked up pile of up fuckage. This is the 9pm edict. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. Peter Garrett headlines the political news today. He's Minister for the Environment, except for the bits handled by Senator Penny Wong. And since she takes care of climate change and water resources, you have to wonder what Garrett does. The answer appears to be install insulation and announce projects that personally I would have opposed when I was lead singer of a nasal whiny complaint about everything rock band much beloved of late 70s, early 80s university students. But like right now, I reckon they're wonderful like pulp mills in Tasmania, and toxic waste dumps, and nuclear reactors. Hang on, we're not up to that bit yet, but, uh, you know, give him time, Peter will come round. <laughs> Peter Garrett, eh? Remember him? Nah, me neither. Hello, I'm still Gary, and welcome to The Edict, The Recycled Edict. Uh, this is the first of a few episodes uh, that'll gather up some of the least worst bits of this terrible podcast. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why, but here we are. Now, I have a habit, a weakness, in fact, of starting projects with way too much ambition. 
And the edict is no exception. 2010, I thought I could do two episodes a week. I mean, only 12 or 15 minutes each, not like the hour or so they've become now, but starting off with, in fact, most of the podcast as long scripted monologues, like this very first one about Peter Garrett. So I'll play you the the thing in full. Now, Garrett was, of course, the former lead singer of Midnight Oil, which was a band, allegedly. Uh, He was an environmental campaigner. And from December 27 to December, uh, September 2010, he was Australia's Minister for Environment Protection, Heritage and the Arts. And after that, through to 2013, the Minister for School Education, Early Childhood and Youth. Here's that monologue. If you believe opposition leader Tony Abbott, a.k.a. Mr Pointy Ears, Garrett's job in all the government-funded roof insulation schemes was to personally supervise the safety of every poorly trained insulation installer in the goddamn country and to be personally responsible if they came a cropper. Okay, four people have died installing metal foil insulation in ceilings. This is not good. But ceilings are dangerous places, often with dodgy electrical stuff, and metal foil insulation is, well, metal. That is, it conducts electricity. And accidents will happen, especially if not everyone is thoroughly trained in the safety procedures, especially if you go fast. And not that long ago, the opposition was calling for the government to go faster, 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 faster with all of this. And now they're complaining the government went too fast. So which do you want, Abbott? Fast or not fast? And what would you have done better here? What was your plan? Hello? Hello? I can't hear you, Tony. What was your plan? I guess you were too busy chatting with Lord Moncton about how global warming is some vast left-wing conspiracy designed to force up the prices of Bentleys and eventually reveal that an alien invasion will cause our teeth to fall out or something. I guess you were too busy saying that you support the death penalty, except that you're not suggesting we introduce the death penalty, but if we did, like if someone else brought up the subject, because it wouldn't be you, because you're opposition leader and you're a caring human being who's worried about the virginity of young women, but yeah, look, if someone else broached the subject, well, you wouldn't say no, as long as we're talking about someone who killed hundreds of thousands of people. Not that that's actually happened any time in Australia's recent history, except maybe when your previous boss, John Howard, took us into a war in Iraq and then, well, half a million people were killed or whatever it is. But that's okay, because he's got a tracksuit. But back to Peter Garrett. Yes, four people are dead. But what none of the media reports on this issue have explored so far is whether this is in any way abnormal. What is the annual rate of deaths in the residential building and maintenance industry? Maybe all we're seeing here is the normal rate of fatalities in any accelerated building project. Maybe, given that we're talking about less than a handful of cases, maybe this is just statistical noise. But of course, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of daily politics, where it's all reported as a kind of combat, as a kind of ritual sport. No, no, no. The opposition must call for Garrett's resignation. Garrett must stand firm. And that's what the story is about. And yet, of course, there are vastly more important issues in politics this week. Dogs. Liberal Senator Helen Kroger is recovering in hospital at the moment because she was attacked by a dog last week. It turns out it wasn't Christopher Pine. It was a fox terrier that lives next door. So why isn't the government doing more about dogs? 
Or today there was the news that knife attacks are on the rise. Victorian police say there were 13 incidents involving knives in Melbourne at the weekend. Most of them involved alcohol or drugs. Most of them involved young men. So why aren't we calling for the banning of knives? Or of young men? Why isn't IKEA being blamed? Because, I mean, they sell knives. Why aren't we closing restaurants? Because they're full of knives, especially the kitchens. Why don't we ban kitchens? I mean, that's the logic we apply at airports, isn't it? But let's look at that. 13 incidents involving knives in Melbourne, a city of millions of people. Again, this is a number out of context. Is this normal? How many violent incidents do we normally have in a city like Melbourne in a week or a month? Is 13 clustered on one weekend anything particularly remarkable? Or does it just sound like a lot if we don't actually know anything about crime statistics? This is where the news lets us down. And this is where I'd like to see a rule applied, which I saw someone else on the web say, don't ever quote a single number unless you provide more numbers to put some context around it to explain what it means. 13 incidents involving dives, that certainly sounds a lot if we're talking about my living room on a Saturday night, but across a big city, is that maybe just a few more than usual? Isn't that just perhaps statistical noise? Meanwhile in New South Wales, well, it's Monday, so therefore uh, we had another transport plan for New South Wales. And of course this one is just like all the others. It basically overturns what was uh, said the previous week and uh, reinstates what was said the week before that, or something like that. And uh, surprise, surprise, this new transport plan includes a fast rail link all the way out to the west and a new rail link all the way up to the northwestern suburbs of Sydney, where, of course, there are marginal Labor electorates. And here we go, we're a year out from a state election. This happens every goddamn time. And the problem is, we never actually seem to have any new transport infrastructure built. There never seems to be any relationship between the plan and where people need to travel. And there certainly doesn't seem to ever be any detail of how we're actually going to fund it. Those political issues seem so long ago, don't they? Well, do they? I mean, that's from 2010. How much have things actually changed, you tell me? Well, from the very beginning, uh, the edict has had a strong focus on the news, the media and spin. And listening back as I started preparing these episodes, I could hear a few common themes emerging, even like even in the first two episodes. This little rant is from episode two from the 24th of February 2010. Twitter said this week that they now handle 50 million tweets a day. And of course, within minutes, all of the social media fucktards were out there saying, oh, what a big number. Oh, wow, wow, 50 million tweets a day. No, it's not wow. Any kind of basic numeracy skills would have told you it's not wow. Think of the numbers. 50 million tweets a day. Sure, but Twitter earlier in this year was talking about 75 million registered users. And even if all of those registered users, okay, you know, some of them are spam bots, some of them are people who've registered and then never used their Twitter accounts, but you're still talking tens of millions of Twitter users multiplied by a few tweets a day, you get to 50 million very easily. What is so wow 
about that. I've said before, well, I said on Monday night, that a big number out of context means nothing. You actually have to put it in some context to understand whether this is something that you should be amazed about or not. And quite frankly, 50 million tweets a day is not something that you should be amazed about. It is a basic number that comes from taking the number of Twitter users, multiplying them by a few tweets a day, using this secret modern technology called multiplication, and there you have it. But of course, we now have this number, which will uh, turn up in social media PowerPoint presentations as yet another proof that social media is somehow vast and important because there's a number with a million at the end of it. You fucktards. So, yeah, the background noise there. That episode was recorded at Kelly's on King, the, quote, Irish, unquote, pub in Newtown in Sydney, which used to be a regular of mine back when I lived over that way. I've always liked location recording rather than recording in a studio. I mean, studios are great because you've got all the facilities there at your fingertips, but they sound like the voice from nowhere. And I like ambient sound, the sound of the actual world. Uh, In fact, I don't wear earbuds or headphones and listen to music when I'm out and about because I I want to hear the world. Anyway, you'll hear more of that uh, ambient sound and location recording uh, coming into the podcast as it evolved over the years. Now, the reason this podcast was called the 9pm Edict was uh, at the time ABC TV had a program called The 7.30 Report now just called 7.30. There was a then-new program on 10 called The 7pm Project, and now that's just called The Project. Uh, And so I thought The 9pm Edict seemed to fit that pattern, Uh, and I would actually post the podcast at 9pm or thereabouts. Uh, And yes, I would proclaim an edict at the end of each episode. Uh, Here's the one from episode two. This is edict number two, and it's quite simple. If you define a term like terrorism, then you apply it consistently. No matter who it is, no matter where they're from, if you've defined a crime, it applies to them including your own citizens, including some mad nutter who flies his plane into a building, if he fits the definition of terrorist, then you apply it consistently. Well, that's all for the edict tonight. I'll be back. Uh, No, it's not all for the recycled edict uh, this episode, at least not yet. I'm going to stay in 2010 for the time being, Uh, Because it does seem that complaining about things uh, was very soon a core part of uh, this podcast. Yes, I know, of of the podcast since, obviously. Uh, Let's hear a bit from uh, episode four, the 5th of March, 2010. There's a few things I don't like about Sydney, and I'll cover them tonight. And uh, quite frankly, if you don't want to hear about Sydney, just turn off now. One. The endless stream of mediocre festivals, as if the only thing Sydney can offer the world is to put on a party and have tourists gawk at the place. 
Two, the incompetence and what many people suspect is the corruption of the state government. And three, the petty bourgeoisie and their knee-jerk reaction to any inner urban development. And I'll tackle that one first. Harold Park is an old harness racing circuit in the inner west suburb of Glebe. It's about five minutes walk from Blackwattle Bay on Sydney Harbour, ten minutes walk from the uh, funky cafes, bars and restaurants of Glebe Point Road. There's a proposal to redevelop the site and uh, public comment on that proposal closes this coming Monday. The plan is for a thousand odd dwellings, a commercial development in uh, some clapped out old tram sheds and so on. Needless to say, the residents in the leafy streets of terrace houses nearby are objecting. We can stop this, says their flyer. This is not the way to the future. They complain that Harness Racing NSW will make a huge profit from the deal, as if making a profit is of itself some kind of evil. Thing is, they haven't really offered any alternatives. Sure, they've said something about turning the grandstand into an aged care facility and just leaving the open space open. But what they haven't addressed is the need to accommodate more people in this city. Right now, Harold Park is an ugly blight on the landscape. The proposal shows how we can accommodate a thousand homes in a place that's close to parklands, close to existing shopping, and most importantly, close to the existing light rail line to the CBD. In short, it's a really good place for a new residential development with existing public transport. So, residents of Glebe, if this spot isn't suitable for new housing, where is? Do you have any suggestions? Or do you simply want to keep your quiet streets for yourself and screw any newcomers so they can live out where there's no public transport? Well, aren't you selfish cunts? Well, in the fullness of time, that Harold Park uh, development project did actually go ahead. Uh, There's farmers' markets and a whole lot of the other usual bullshit in the old tram sheds. And a bunch of apartments that fit nicely into the the little valley there. I quite like it. So that was uh, the rant about NIMBYs. My other rant that episode was about one of the worst, the worst events in Sydney's calendar of festivals, the Vivid Festival, a festival of light, music and ideas. Now, the first one was last year, and the artistic director was Brian Eno. I'd tell you more, but the website is currently a single page saying website launching soon, and last year's information has been consigned to the memory hole. Well, this week it was announced that Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson were curating the Vivid Live music part of the festival. Now, I'm starting to see a theme here. Artists who were avant-garde when baby boomers were toking their first weed, but who are now respectable establishment performers whose opinions are suitable for the weekend colour supplements in the broadsheet newspapers like the Sydney Morning Herald. Not so mainstream that their kids might hear them on MTV, but not so challenging that they might be in any way uncomfortable. Brian Eno, for instance, he won't be known to this demographic for his edgy rock albums, Here Come the Warm Jets, or Before and After Science, or Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, but as the inventor of ambient music. Something pleasant to listen to once you've got home from your mid-ranking project manager job at the Department of Human Services, poured an acceptable New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and amped up a few pleasantly repetitive, but completely non-challenging post-serialist compositions on your Bang & Olufsen. A distracting background to the 
discussions with your spouse about how New England College is up their boarding fees this year, so maybe the holiday to Nepal will have to be postponed. There's a chance they'll remember Eno as the co-composer of David Bowie's Heroes and Fashion, but that'll be more memorable as a reminder of that time when after some rather excellent hashish, they experimented with bisexuality in a somewhat confused threesome with that girl who was in their second year political science class and who they've pined for ever since, if only they knew where she moved to after she finished her master's and did that year with some aid organisation in Cambodia. They certainly won't realise that Eno was the producer who propelled U2 from being some useless Irish pub band into the mega-phenomenon they are today. No, Mr Eno, I shall never forgive you for creating Bono, no matter how brilliant your audio production was on The Unforgettable Fire. They may remember Eno for turning some New York art wank band called Talking Heads into a phenomenon, though, and it's that connection, the urban sophistication of New York and the arty pretensions of David Byrne that says, yes, I like Eno, so I am cultured and artistic myself, despite having never done anything creative themselves, except maybe suggest some colours for young Amanda's art class in year six and gushing about how creative she is, because parents must always live through the creative energies of their offspring. Which is why the gush when Eno takes the DVD he released years ago and projects it onto Sydney Opera House and suddenly, oh goodness, how creative. And we're there sipping Sauvignon Blanc and we too are creative. So after Eno, I guess, Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson is a logical next step. Lou Reed, whose walk on the wild side is another subtle reminder of failed experiments in alternative sexuality and heroin, except you'd never actually try heroin yourself, and Laurie Anderson, whose close-cropped haircut reflects the middle-ranked public service power dyke image you aspire to. If only you could dump that tedious lump of a man who sired your children, and who isn't just a musician, no, even though language is a virus, is a fantastic pop song. No, it's not pop. Pop is disposable, and Laurie Anderson is... Wait for it. A performance artist. Yeah, right. All very interesting, but what's she done since? Another tape loop? Another tour where she spends 20 minutes explaining the cultural significance of the lyrics before singing another pop song? Sorry, before taking part in another performance art piece? Ah, there'll be fireworks too. So yeah, Vivid is in Sydney. There are always fireworks. And don't forget, it's a festival of light, music and ideas. Ah, give me a break. 2010 was also the year of the digital economy. I had a problem with that phrase, as uh, as you'll hear now. <sighs> Hello, I'm Still Gary, and welcome to the Edict. I'm disgruntled tonight. Quite disgruntled. The news is full of internet and censorship stories this week. In China, Google has turned off censorship of its search results. Huge story. Everyone's waiting to see what happens next. Here in Australia, the DBCDE, the Department of Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy... Look, what the fuck is a digital economy? If you mean the economy of stuff, what is coordinated using computers or the internet, well, that's pretty much everything these days. Did we previously try to carve things off as the telephone economy or the train and truck economy or the walking to the shops for a packet of ciggies economy or nipping down the pub at lunchtime for a quick half pint economy? 
No, we did not. And in any event, digital economy. Why, of all the aspects of human existence, do we single out the economy? Not digital community, digital society, digital family, digital nation, but digital economy. We are not our cash flows, Mr. Rudd. Where was I? For those of you playing along at home, that was uh, from episode 8, the 24th of March, 2010. And to wrap up this first recycled edict, uh, we we just can't skip over the fact that 2010 was a federal election year in Australia. Labor's Julia Gillard was Prime Minister. Uh, The Liberal leader was Tony Abbott. And on 17th of June... Um, I distilled each of their election launch speeches down to a minute and a half each, just to make sure we captured all of the key phrases. Julia Gillard, first. This election is about the choice as to whether we move Australia forward or go back. Our great nation, our very great nation, has been built by generations of men and women who had the courage to move forward. Moving forward, of course, requires conviction. Moving forward with confidence, I believe in hard work, discipline, unbelievably hard. I will be asking Australians for their trust so that we can move forward together. And moving forward means moving forward with plans to build a sustainable Australia. Moving forward moving forward means moving forward with budget surpluses. Get a job, keep a job, get a better job. Australian families working together, hard-working Australian families who are doing it tough. Moving forward, moving forward also means moving forward with stronger protection of our borders. Moving forward means hard-working Australians and moving forward above all in our schools. I've worked hard, we'll move forward. I want to move forward real jobs. We'll move forward. We'll move forward together with a sustainable Australia, hard-working Australians and their families, hard-working Australians. Instead of moving forward to tackle climate change, Mr Abbott is in climate change denial. Hard-working Australians to move forwards, not backwards. Thank you very much. This election is about giving a great people a better government. The only way to change for the better is to change the government. I want to repeat that. The only way to change for the better is to change the government. Only a coalition government can end the spin and incompetence which marked the Rudd-Gillard government and which has just got worse over the three weeks since the faceless men of the Labor Party executed and elected Prime Minister. Why should people trust? Why should people trust Why should people trust Julia Gillard? Why should people trust a government? And why should people trust a Prime Minister? There is a better way. The Coalition will stand up for real action. A Coalition government will respect the taxpayer's dollar. We'll respect people's judgment, respect the environment, and we'll establish a standing Green Army, 15,000 strong. This election isn't about glib slogans. It is not about glib slogans. Only the coalition stands ready to deliver. The Prime Minister wants to move forward. The coalition will stand up. We'll stand up. Stand up for your love, right? hey, hey. 
the Australian people deserve better than endless repetition of a cliched slogan. And what I am going to do is stand up. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up for Australia. I'm going to stand up for real action. Uh, I'm going to end the waste. I'm going to repay the debt. I'm going to stop the new taxes and I'm going to stop the boats. That's what you'll get from me. That's all the recycled edict for now. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can support this podcast with a paid subscription at skank.com.au slash subscribe or a one-off contribution at stilgarian.com slash tip. The next recycled edict will be when I get to it. Until then, I'm Stilgarian. Have a good one. The 9pm edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.